Welcome back to Deprogram, the NCF show devoted to fighting back against the forces of ideological conformity, particularly among the young. My name is Harrison Pitt, I'm a senior editor at the European Conservative, and I'm thrilled to be joined today, as ever, by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and our special guest this week, Jack Anderton, a political commentator. Now, Jack, it, it's fairly commonplace for conservative-minded observers, if not the Tory party itself, to point to the, the cultural threats posed by mass immigration. But you've shone a very worthwhile spotlight on the fact that this is all incredibly fiscally expensive as well. W what are some of the more concerning findings, particularly in relation to social housing and, and other welfare benefits? So the biggest concern in terms of social housing is that across the country, about 20% of occupants of social housing are immigrants. Now, that sort of tracks with the, the sort of national stats that you know, our population is around 20% foreign anyway. But those stats change when we look at London. So in London, almost half of mm. social housing occupants are immigrants. So what that means is taxpayers, and more specifically, it affects younger taxpayers because as we know, young graduates move to the major cities, are paying thousands of pounds in rent. I mean, I can only speak from, from my personal experience. I'm looking at places now and it's sort of two grand for you know a one bedroom flat, um, which is just astronomical. And in those same areas, social housing rent is about sort of 500, 600 pounds a month when we have graduates that are paying thousands of pounds to live in what is some of the most expensive and sought after real estate in the country. So for example, Kensington and Chelsea, 55% of occupants uh, of social housing are immigrants. Now that is the most expensive area to live mm. in London. And you have people who, many of whom are unemployed, by the way, about 30% um, of occupants in social housing in London, I think, are economically inactive. Mm. Um, so they are being highly subsidized by the taxpayer and it's not right and it must change and it affects young people the most. Okay, so forgive me here for being very ignorant about how social housing in this country works, mm -hmm. um, but I pay all my rent myself. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, so these is, this is the government, you apply for social housing, and then the government subsidizes your rent to a private landlord? No, so the, the social housing, most of the social housing is owned now sort of by housing associations. So it's housing that's run not for profit, hence why they can you know, have uh, houses per month at about 500, 600 pounds. Not the market price. Not the market price, exactly. But the, the interesting thing about some of these is, you know, for example, in Lambeth, mm -hmm. their social housing blocks, some of them have concierges in. <laughs> nice. Now, none of the buildings I've lived in in London have had concierges. Um, so, you, you know, it, it's sort of a myth that council housing and social housing is sort of quite decrepit and quite, you know, run down. In areas such as London that has sort of a lot more investment, these places do have concierges that collect, you know, collect parcels. Mm. And for young graduates to have to pay thousands of pounds to live in central London, often not in the nicest places, when we have, as I say, immigrants living there, subsidized, it's not right. So, Ronnie, 47% of... So, so it's 47.8% okay. in London and around 19.8% right. across the country. Right, and these are first-generation immigrants. So 31% of immigrants and social housing in London have arrived in the country between 1991 and 2021. Okay. So many of these immigrants have only arrived in the last 20 years. Mm. Um, you can apply for social housing usually when you apply to get indefinite leave to remain. So that's usually after five years. But that's not to say that anybody who, ha who, has, who hasn't been here for five years doesn't also get social housing. I think in the last few years, it's, it sits around the 1% for people that maybe have arrived in the last year. The last two years, mm. I think is around 1.5, 1.8. Do you have any idea about how much of that cohort is, are actually British citizens who become nationalized? Um, well, that would be for the, the people that have, have been in older. So w once you have indefinite leave to remain, you can then claim British citizenship. Mm. So I think last year around 183,000 people um, obtained British citizenship. Um, but as I say, you don't need British citizenship to apply for social housing. You just need indefinite leave to <clears throat> yeah, and, and all of the all of the so the, the welfare state became 
a, a big thing in this country in, uh, over the course of the last century. And mm -hmm. all, all of the people who were involved in setting that up, whether it's in the early part of the century, people, liberals like Lloyd George and Churchill was, a, was actually involved in the people's budget of 1909, which massively expanded the welfare state. He was a liberal at that time, although he, was, he started as a conservative and ended as a conservative. Mm -hmm. And when it was expanded further under post-war Labour governments, Clement Attlee and Bevan, those types of people, all of those people, despite being from different political hues, different political parties, they would, it would never have occurred to them that the, a welfare state would be anything other than national in its focus mm -hmm. and intergenerational. That the idea that, well, you, you, if you fall on hard times, it's likely that someone in your lineage has contributed into the system. So we're kind of pooling resources together in order to help each other out when we get into difficult times. That yeah. It's based on a fundamental principle of solidarity within a nation. And yet it seems that today... That we, we, we live in such a, a rights-obsessed liberal age that it all of a sudden seems like a great injustice to deny people who haven't paid anything into that system, mm -hmm. who, 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 ha who haven't a, a, availed themselves of what it, what it is to be a British citizen, to be, immediately be entitled to things which people who have, with a really strong ancestral connection to this country should be able to, to claim at, at a privileged rate. I saw some guy on Twitter who was apparently a member of the Tory party, but I forget his name, so he'll go, uh, he'll, he'll go anonymous <laughs> here. Saying on Twitter, people have a right to live in London. Mm. Mm. And it was, he was talking about immigrants. And I was like, first of all, like, well, like, I, I don't have a right to live in London. But also, mm -hmm. too, like, even if you're a British citizen, mm. even if you're born in London, to be honest, I don't think you yeah. have a right to live mm. in London. Yes. Mm. What I would say in relation to, yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't think you have a right to. But the whole point of the whole principle of a national welfare system is that... Um, like one of the perks of being a British citizen should be asymmetric access to the perks of being yeah. a British citizen. It's as you say, it's a, yeah. it's a national welfare system, mm -hmm. not an international Indeed. welfare system. Indeed. And the question that I would pose to people who see nothing wrong with these, mm. with these types of statistics is, would you expect to be able to move to another country mm. and be able to access their public funds and their public housing within five years? Mm. I certainly wouldn't. Mm. I think you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I also think you wouldn't. It is absolutely not right. And it, it is extreme and it's radical. Mm. There, are, there are not many countries that is as welcoming and as maybe stupid as Britain stupid. that allows people who have only been in the country for five years mm. to have access to public funds when, as I've just said, they're not even citizens, they mm. just have indefinite leave to remain. Indeed, and, and there, there's, no, there's no guarantee either. In fact, the fact that they're even applying for social housing, being new immigrants is a sign that they're probably not making a net fiscal contribution mm -hmm. to this country. Well, I mean, even even going to talk about my own immigration status, on mm. my little residency card, it says not eligible for public funds. Mm. But I'm a, personally, not to brag, a net contributor mm -hmm. to this country. I actually take from America and give it and give it here. Mm. But I, I couldn't even apply for anything yes. based on my visa status. It's, well, it's, it's very interesting as well, because it goes to show, so the, recently it was very interesting, uh, the Tory party did a bit of a climb down, didn't they, on sal increasing sa the salary threshold yes, on immigration? Yeah, yeah. Like, if I'm not fully mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, but I think it's currently somewhere at like 26% and they were going to raise it to 39% and then they've brought it down. Is that correct? 39,000, I think Th it was. Sorry, 39,000, yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. 39,000 pounds, at which point people, uh, immigrants will have access to visas. You mm -hmm. need to be earning that much money in order yes, to get yeah. a visa. That's correct? As opposed yes, to 26,000. Yeah, I think it's 26, 27,000 yeah, possibly. And they climbed down from that. It's really interesting as well because what they were trying to do with that that I found very suspicious is that they weren't taking account of different streams of immigration. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the, 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 there's, there's data out of Oxford showing that non-EU immigrants, I think I've got the data, non-EU immigrants yes. start making a net fiscal contribution only once they're earning about £40,000. Yes, yeah. they, they, they are taking a lot more out of the system than they bring in on average yeah. as a moving average non-EU immigrants, whereas EU immigrants, along with native Brits, start making a net fiscal, fiscal contribution to this country at a much lower salary threshold. Mm -hmm. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. But I think there should be not only should we be should the Tories have had the courage to raise it rather than climbing down from it, mm -hmm. but they should be able to defend the idea of having, having uh, purely on fiscal grounds of having mm -hmm. two different income streams and two different criteria for different types of immigrants coming from different parts of the world. Purely in purely in the interests of fiscal sense, that's not even talking about the cultural challenges posed by non-EU immigration that are not as. As, mm -hmm. as solidly posed by Yeah, I mean, on, on the economics of it, you know, we're constantly told by a lot of very smart, intelligent people that immigration is great for the economy. Mm. Uh, you know, immigration makes us richer. 
but Britain has been stagnant and declining economically for the past 15 years. Wages have been stagnant since 2007. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we've had record levels of immigration. 1.1 million people came to this country last year. 15 million people have come since 1997. Mm. Immigration clearly is not working mm. to make us richer. Mm. So I think it's about time that we may be reversed <laughs> that <laughs> policy. Might be a good idea. Mm. Yeah. So. It's notoriously difficult to get young people interested mm. in right-wing politics. Mm. But, and again, too, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't, I don't know a lot about the system, but it seems to me that if you went to young people and you said, you are not only not able to live in, like, Zone 1 London or whatever, you're commuting in from, like, fucking Reading, um, you're paying an astronomical amount of rent for rent in Reading, you're also paying an astronomical amount in taxes, mm -hmm. which is subsidizing the social housing of people who are basically fresh-off-the-boat immigrants, um, who are living based where you should probably be mm -hmm. to access, you know, your job and the culture that you belong to mm -hmm. and the capital city of your own country. Yeah. Um, why do you keep voting for people that make that easier or, or, or only increase it and are making your life like pretty just well, harder in I, general? But yeah. also too, it's like, what, that's one question is like, why is that, why is that argument not being made to people? Mm -hmm. But the follow-up then is then, who do you think is best to make that argument? Well, I would first push on the point that young people are voting for those people. Young people don't really vote in the first place. Um, maybe because they just don't see anyone who offers them anything really new. You know, it's sort of a, a myth that, you know, Jeremy Corbyn had a youth quake in 2017. It didn't really happen. Um, it's a myth. Um, in terms of why this argument is never made, I think, number one, because the political class don't really see anything wrong with it. The Conservative Party are perfectly content with the current situation, as is the Labour Party. Um, the journalists don't really care. People in the media don't care. So it's only really my friends and I that are, <laughs> that are sort of highlighting this, this issue. Um, as I say, we're doing a great job on it so far. Uh, we're getting um, a lot of pickup, um, and you know we're gradually starting to change mm. the conversation. You know, the, the videos that I've posted on this topic have had about two million views mm. across across all platforms so far, um, and then obviously other people are doing different work on it as well. Um, so we are trying to push push and change mm. the narrative. In terms of the alternative, uh, currently no one, no one, no political party really has highlighted this this issue, and I think it's a slam dunk. Um, yeah. I, I think if you come out and say clearly that immigrants should not be entitled to public funds, you should also probably change uh, indefinite leave to remain. It's not right that... Mm. Well, here's an interesting fact about indefinite leave to remain. If you're a foreign criminal and you go to prison, your indefinite leave to remain, I think, resets. So you will, after five years, if you leave jail after five years, if you live in the country, don't commit another crime, you will be allowed to obtain indefinite yeah, okay. leave to remain. Yeah. It, the current immigration system is radical, it is extreme, and it is replicated basically nowhere else mm. in the world. Mm. Yes. Um, it's interesting though, because uh, it's, it's interesting quite, because even though young people considered like en masse, it's hard to argue that they're all sort of teeming right-wing radicals. It's like, clearly that's not the case, but... Most people aren't political exactly, in the first Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. I was going to say is that, that when you find youngsters who are interested in politics, mm -hmm. so that's already a small minority, sure, that's already a small sure. cohort, and then you find the, the, the group, the subset of that group, which is leans right, mm -hmm. they tend to be much more radical or well, well, radical, like this, this, none of this is radical. Like, what's radical is what's it's happening. It's what, it's what's it's happening. common sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they, they tend to be much more um, in tune with the, the sort of the, the, the based way of thinking on this topic than much, much of the older generation. Like, I mean, it's, it's, so Vivek, for example, in the, in, in the Republican Party, he's the one who's most popular with young people, and Nikki Haley tends to be more popular with older people. And Vivek I, is, I think uh, Trump is probably and, the most popular. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Even with young, with young people. I, but this is interesting. I saw a statistic today, uh, the other day, Evan, showing that even f in Canada, which is considered a kind of irredeemable liberal you know, outpost. At least by me. At least by you and uh, other refugees from that land. Um, uh, Trump, 48% of young men in Canada would vote Trump, apparently. So there clearly is that the young people who are interested in politics and lean right mm -hmm. are much more um, red-pilled on this, on this topic than, than older yes. generations are. I, and I think that's probably <coughs> due to social media, but also mm. the sort of reality of um, 
the economy, not just here, but in Canada and America as well. Mm. Um, and the sort of extreme radical change that has been inflicted on countries over the last 20 years, mm. and partly due to the immigration system. Um, so in terms of social media, I, I definitely do think that that has had a major effect, especially, you know, I, I post on TikTok, the videos I post on Twitter, mm. I post on TikTok. There is a big right wing sort of subculture on TikTok and it's only growing. Um, so one of my videos has been uh, taken down, but I, I appealed and it, it's, it's back up now. Um, <laughs> really? So we, we do have to be wary of that. But I would encourage people to, to post on to post on TikTok. You know, you don't have to include your face. It can just be simple statistics. I mean, even if you just put up a video and, and a slide with just the social housing statistics, yeah, yeah. you know, don't underestimate your influence is all I would say. Yes. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what would you say to, um, I don't know, concerned parents who don't want their children anywhere near TikTok because of CCP influence and all that, all that sort of thing. And, the, and like, you, yeah, you, you may become based, but you may also become trans. Like there's that risk too, isn't there? <laughs> you also nuke your attention span at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I mean, I, I think TikTok perhaps is a necessarily necessary evil yeah. in that front in terms of the CCP China aspect. Ultimately, 70% of Gen Z kids in, in Britain are on TikTok. So you've already really? lost that, that battle anyway. <laughs> um, so you may as well fight so you, on that battleground. So you, yeah. you may as well fight on that battleground. You may as well post and you will, you will be able to reach a influential uh, and massive audience. Hmm. What made you decide to do social housing as kind of your, your, your big debut? Did you get evicted? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't get evicted. Uh, I, I just fundamentally think it's completely unjust. And I also think that it is an issue that we can really sort of build a community of young people around. Hmm. As, I, as I keep saying, you know, graduates are paying thousands of pounds a month and immigrants, again, many of whom are unemployed, economically inactive, many of whom have, you know, only arrived here in the past hmm. five years hmm. are living in housing that is 500, 600 pound a month. So that is, that is the reason I picked it. And I also think, um, I'm, I think I'm quite good not to, you know, give myself any, any compliments, but I'm quite good at messaging. Um, so yes, the statistics are shocking, but I also link it to you know what people are paying, and I put the the average rental prices. Mm. So for example, the average rental price, the private rental price in Kensington and Chelsea is about two thousand seven hundred a month. Council housing is five hundred, six hundred pounds a month. Mm. So me or you or whoever are paying two thousand seven hundred seventy pounds a month. Immigrants are paying mm. five hundred, six hundred in social housing. Gosh. But is it not the case, so, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but it's just, it, 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 if we're talking about building a, 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 a sort of pro-youth coalition on mm -hmm. the right in order to try and bring young people in and mm -hmm. make them realize that it's not in their interest yeah. to be, you know, race communists or anything like that, it really is not in their interest to, be, to, to, think that, to think in those terms. How do you cut through so much of the conventional wisdom in which, in which they, like, so the, the, the idea, for example, that... Um, presumably the left would want to make arguments to the effect that, well, this is a form of reparative justice, for example. Like, mm -hmm. we did these, we, 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 particularly if they come from former, from former imperial British possessions, mm -hmm. uh, we did damage to these countries, we, we, we um, exploited them economically, we're essentially racist. So this is a form of reparative justice that people should be paying. Young people tend to be receptive, as, as far as I can tell, maybe you disagree, to that kind of messaging. It seems to me that before we get to the, the you, you need to uh, present it in terms where it's morally objectionable. And if their uh, um, sort of ideological biases prevent them from seeing the injustice that, we, mm. that we're laying mm -hmm. before them, they're not, going, they're not going to, to line up with us. Well, I think morality is overrated. Um, <laughs> I think the direct, di the direct appeals You might to... have to elaborate on what you mean by that, <laughs> <No>. Jack. <laughs> direct is appeals... Is this the new right that I keep hearing about? <laughs> um, direct appeals to people's sort of economic situation is most effective, hence why, you know, mm. I talk about rental prices and hence why I talk about young graduates. People, especially young people, mm. are at heart individualistic. Mm. Um, they do care that they're paying thousands of pounds a month and certain people aren't. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do care. And mm -hmm. if we can highlight that, then we can win. You think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, you can come at it with like a facts don't care about your feelings approach, but I think feelings don't care about your facts. And I think a lot of people are quite happy to throw money on a bonfire if they think they're doing the right thing. But not if it goes against their direct interests, though. 
if they are mm. suffering at the, at the same time as supposedly helping someone else, there, there, I think that's when it changes. Yeah, there, there is an all honest signals come at the cost. If you really want to, you know, show your allegiance to diversity, equity, and inclusion, what better way than to I'm, I'm not tank entire, your own income? Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced people mm. do want to show their allegiance. There is evidence that. that when you put a face, and, and certainly would help if it's your own face, on some of the real-life consequences of thinking in these mm -hmm. very ideological DEI terms, it can m make even sort of white, middle-class liberals very upset. So, for example, in, in terms of their expressed preferences, every single white woman with children in the United States who supports affirmative action whether she thinks of it in this way or not, is in favor of the, her own children being, uh, their own education uh, coming second to racial preferencing in, in institutions mm -hmm. like Harvard. If she supports affirmative action, she's mm -hmm. implicitly in favor of her own children being deprivileged on that front. Mm -hmm. But there is evidence to suggest that, when, and, but she might not necessarily think about that, the father, if he thinks the same way, might not think about that. But there is evidence to suggest that when, for example, there was one time, I can't even remember which city it was in the United States, but there was a city in the United States and there was going to be a statue made of Harriet Tubman. Right. And there was this white liberal guy, white liberal sculptor who was going to be making this uh, statue, and it was perfect, very competently made statue, it was very good and all the rest of it, but then there was, there, there was pressure among the black community in that town, why, have we, why is a white sculptor building a, black, building a monument to a black woman, shouldn't we get a black person to do that, wouldn't that be more racially just? And mm -hmm. even New York Times readers, when they got wind of this story, because he was perceived as a, as a good white liberal, and there was a face on the fact that he had now been decommissioned for this, mm -hmm. even in the comments on the New York Times' website, they were very much against what racial preferencing meant in practice when you can actually point to a victim and he's not a bad victim, he's not an obviously bad victim. So when you, we, maybe when you point out to young people that you think you're good and you're the victim of this system, mm -hmm. maybe they would, that, that, that would engage them. Yes, I'd agree with that, but I also think the issue is not many people know about this in the first yes. place. So, I mean, that's my job to, to sort of highlight it, um, hence, hence, you know, the, the posting on TikTok. Ha, ha, whatever, what, so when it comes to Evan's question, like, because it's interesting, do facts care about, facts don't care about your feelings, feelings don't care about your facts, that sort of thing. What evidence... But I think we both, we, we have both facts and feelings of course we on, do. on our side. Of course we do, and you're, you're certainly right that mm -hmm. people are going to be, you, you can make people pay attention when you're talking about them, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what, have you got very positive traction from people that you wouldn't have already expected to get it from? Um, well, my audience is sort of quite young anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I think on TikTok, it's about 50%, 18 to 24, which isn't shocking really <coughs> anyway when you, when you think of it. But I also get um, a lot of comments from parents with children who, who do mm. rent and you know, who maybe are, you know, just left university mm. because they can see and know that their children are paying you know, astronomical amounts mm. for rent. And they also see that I've highlighted and other people have highlighted that again immigrants are being given social, subsidized social housing mm. so it it is young people but it's also a coalition with you know their parents and yes. their grandparents perhaps who see that their children are being impoverished yes. by this system yeah mm. and i mean i think it's worth pointing out too that young people i mean people in their 20s and 30s really are the most economically productive people mm -hmm. or at least yeah. the, at least if you're making lots of money in into your 40s and 50s it tends to be through through investments, it's it's not tends to be through actually like making something yeah. with your hands. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. kind of how the numbers break down. And so what you're doing is you're getting these people, you're disincentivizing them from working hard. Yeah. Um, you're destroying their chance of ever having any sort of like savings to like yeah. get on the property ladder, which yeah. is apparently a huge thing in this country. Um, and you're also basically, I would say, even if people don't sort of directly acknowledge it, uh, you're fueling ethnic tensions. Because you will see people, I mean, it, it will become obvious uh, as, you know, economically productive people keep getting pushed out of the city mm -hmm. and the inner city turns into what American cities used to be like. I mean, you can use the word ghetto, which originally wasn't actually sort of derogatory term, but it was like a descriptive term for a poor area mm -hmm. surrounded by a rich one. Um, that's at least how it was used in, in like New York. As people see that, they'll say, "Well, shouldn't what it didn't used to? It didn't used mm. to be like that. Now it's 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 completely changed. I've I've been pushed out. I mean, you already see that with kind of like white flight out into Essex. Mm. So my question to you is like, if this is kind of the inevitable trajectory of these policies, mm -hmm. which which did happen in America and then it kind of got reversed and now they're kind of going back. Yeah. How would you, if you could sort of 
run the country, mm -hmm. major king, you can wave magic wand. <laughs> what do you think would be some policy improvements that would kind of reverse course on this? Um, well, the first one would be a change or removal of indefinite leave to remain. Um, that is sort of the big route into how immigrants get access to public funds and social housing. Mm. The second is to just straight up remove immigrants' access to, to public funds. Mm. Um, I think, you know, fundamentally, immigration should be about benefiting the Britain host, and the benefiting, host, and the population. Exactly, benefiting the British people. Now, if you can't support yourself, um, then I'm sorry, but you need to return home. Mm. And what, but one way of doing that would be to, well, not to, not to revive it necessarily, but the, 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 what I was saying earlier about how a lot of this, you don't need to go, you don't need to you dig really deep into everyone's personal history because it's, it's probably, presumably it's quite a difficult bureaucratic task to sift through every putative immigrant and say, work out whether they're going to be making an official mm -hmm. contribution or mm -hmm. you need to use sort of general metrics and proxies for that, I would imagine. And so having two different immigration streams and managing them both in different ways, namely an EU immigration stream where the salary threshold would be set lower because they, there's evidence that on average EU immigrants make a net fiscal, start making a net fiscal contribution to, at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And then the diff, diff, different for non-EU immigration, that would be a very good, simple way of, of, of achieving that. You're biting into my bottom line here. So. <laughs> You'd be fine, I think. Yeah. You'd be fine. Um, yes, I think that's something to consider, but I also believe that there should be an immigration freeze. Mm. Oh, the, um, well, yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're only, this is worth pointing out, we're only talking about the fiscal costs here. I mean, there's plenty of other things yeah, well, to be considered well, I, apart I have, from public finances. I have a statistic here for you, which is 54% of um, British households, natives as, as well as immigrants, receive more in benefits and public services than, than they pay in tax. So that's British households yeah. as well. Now, so the crazy. medium household from that is not a net fiscal contributor. Yeah. Um, so if immigrant households are anywhere around or below um, what British households are, then they probably won't be either. So mm. Im immigration is sort of a, a, a net loss, yeah. really, fiscally for the country. Yes. I was reading through your notes here before we got started, <laughs> and I was, I was shocked, actually. There's 1.5 million people total in social housing yes, so, in the so, UK? So across, across the country, it's one... Well, the thing is, there the statistics aren't super accurate so it's 1.5 it's more than 1.5 million mm. um you know you can't really get an exact number but it, it's definitely more than 1.5 million and in london it's around 670,000. but it, again it will probably probably be more and interestingly um there's you know if you read the social a lot of the social housing rules um certain social housings the tenants can actually rent out the rooms mm. so not only are they having, you know, a subsidized they're making rate, profit on it. Potentially, yeah. They're basically. I might understand you as saying many of them use this this sort of pathological altruism on our part as a way of becoming their own private landlords of their own. Mm. Effectively, and I mean yes, that plus yeah. a nice job at Deliveroo. I mean, you're making a pretty good income. <laughs> Goodness me. Okay. Okay. But so. Did you wait, what, explain what you mean then by the fact that we need an immigration freeze? Because freeze in this country, because one, one of the difficulties that we have is that we have uh, on the right in this country, which makes us different from the U.S. and it makes us different from the continent. Is mm -hmm. that they and Evan and I have spoken about this before. There's, there's a lot that to, to be pointed out that's wrong. Uh, there's a lot even to be suggested by way of a solution. What we don't have in this country is a political vehicle mm -hmm. that can achieve any of this stuff reliably, at the moment, yes. given how you can sort of congenitally useless the Tory party is on all these issues and they need to be decimated this year. That's my opinion. I think that's Evan's opinion. Yeah. New Year, same old line. Same old <laughs> line, yes. Afraid <laughs> so. Mm. Uh, um, so, I mean, well, about, I mean about, about putting that together... I, I mean, I have in my notes, I would completely agree that neither party will stop. I mean, we've only talked about legal, but illegal immigration as well. well. Yes. You know, neither party will do anything to, to change it. They sort of agree with the situation. They like the situation. Mm -hmm. So I guess that is my job. It's your job. If you're watching at home, it's your job. It's your job to build the infrastructure mm -hmm. to try and replace and build something new. Yeah. Um, that's ultimately what I am sort of trying in the midst of trying to do. Obviously, it will take time, it will take money, it will take yeah. energy, it will take people. Um, but I, I remain optimistic. Uh, we are, as I say, we have facts and we have feelings on our on our side, and the tide the tide is turning slowly, but it but it is turning. So I remain optimistic, and I would implore everyone to to remain optimistic. So two questions. Um, 
I'm pretty fresh off the boat myself. You can tell. <laughs> I've, I've been here just over a year. And when I look at Europe, I was, I was in Europe for just over a year before this, I see sort of um, not youth parties, but like youth movements in many European countries. Yes. Um, in France, is, I think yes, yeah, Spain is yes, also yeah. pretty good. Um, Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Italy's had a bit of an interesting week, but Indeed. Italy. Um, I don't see anything like that in the UK. Um, and maybe it's just like the, the, the well, cohort I, that I'm in. I would blame like, the parties for that. I mean, mm-hmm. you talked about uh, France. Um, Marine Le Pen's sort of candidate for prime minister, I think, is 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Macron has just appointed, is it 29-year-old? 32. 32. He, hired, he hired his ex-husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just reading that on the way in. Potentially live. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's um, actually true. <laughs> Macron has, has an ex-husband. No, no, not Macron. The guy that he hired, mind. the 32-year-old that Macron is, yeah, hired, the, the all minister, all went minister. full nepotism immediately oh, and hired his ex-husband to be like Minister <laughs> of Foreign Affairs. Oh, I see. Um, but, but yes, to, on my point, um, the, the young Macron people... Macron is gay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the, the young people involved... Um, in those countries are sort of closely associated with the parties so yeah. the problem is the conservative party and the labor party um number one they have a lack of talent in the first place but they have a lack of young talent particularly mm. um i think mainly because they they offer young people nothing i mean the labor party have um sort of come out recently and uh agreed to funding for more mm. uh, for young people and the funding is for sort of mental health hubs mm-hmm. now for, for the majority of people um you know, that is irre- irrelevant. Beanbags are expensive. Well, yeah. <laughs> wow. it, it's irrelevant. What they should be focusing on is housing. They should be focusing on allowing uh, and freeing up housing for people to have, you know, families and have, you know, a, a decent quality standard of life. Hmm. Yes. And not to feel alienated in, 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 mm-hmm. their, in their own country. Mm-hmm. To feel like strangers in it who, mm. who, who, are, are, who don't have, pri- I mean, it, it is not unreasonable to say that people who belong to a country should have certain privileges and mm-hmm. people who don't otherwise you don't have a country the citizenship loses its its i mean uh, i've spent meaning. most of my life living in countries i was not a citizen of and Indeed. i can tell you that like that you notice that pretty quickly yeah. when you don't have those privileges Indeed. yeah and like, but wait but yeah but you were not really sucking on the public teeth i know yeah <laughs> exactly um and just just to to further from your question i, I think there is a sort of youth infrastructure growing particularly in our mm. universities um you know even in the sort of conservative associations in university they aren't particularly you know um sympathetic to the conservative party even mm. though the name is the you know the conservative association this is true so there are there are movements growing this is why i'm i'm optimistic you know people should not be be pessimistic because as i say the, the tide is turning and these arguments really are having a massive impact. Do you think it's irresponsible for uh, older conservative figures to say things like, if you're young, you should just like flee the country? Older conservative figures, who are you talking about? Well, um, Peter Hitchens, oh, right. who, who I brought up a few times on this podcast, because <laughs> as much as I really like Peter Hitchens, we had him on and I was challenging with this, and I was like, where should they go? And he was just like, just get the hell out of here. And I was like, that's not... Did he, did he say where they should go? No, no, no he refused to answer the question. He never, he never says that. Either. I think, but he, there's a few people who do say things like that. Yeah. And and even, not even old, as old as Peter, but middle-aged folks. And it's like, I think that's so irresponsible to say that. I, I really think that's... Yes, I, I, it's irresponsible. It's, it's defeatist. But, you know, the thing that I tell people is this situation has happened. If it happened, it can be reversed. Mm. There, is, there is nothing stopping us, you know, tomorrow saying, you know, Public funds are not to be accessed uh, by immigrants. There is, there is nothing stopping us from well, doing that. The, the only concern with that is, and again, in a way, it's not. It's interesting to talk about, but in a way, for the moment, it, for the moment, I'm not saying forever, but for the moment, it's futile to talk about because it's not going to happen. Soon. Sure, sure. So let, let's say that we let's say that like magically, I don't. We can get onto whether we think reform pose, poses a like. Th- th- there are signs of hope in reform, but let's say that unaccountably reform ends up winning the next election mm-hmm. and forming a majority government full of principal people who want to carry through their agenda mm-hmm. if i mean what are you going to do with all of the foreigners already in this country who have already acquired indefinite leave to remain maybe not citizens yet but they therefore have access to social housing under that status mm-hmm. 
oh, are you going to turf them out of their social housing? I mean, if, if we were to do that, and I, I think that is a defensible thing to do, mm -hmm. given that they're not making a net fiscal contribution, they're being subsidised. Yes. But you really don't, don't think that there are going to be bleeding heart guardian headlines and BBC headlines, like telling the personal stories of this person who's been turfed out of her social housing now living on the street. But there's going to be immense propagandistic pressure Dude, I saw on any government. The Guardian, it was the, the personal story of the roommate who killed themselves on the bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that was exactly you get you get things like that and like it's a good one a good example in recent history would be like what happened when trump tried to tackle illegal immigration at the border mm -hmm. and they kind of started harping on family separation kids in cages kids in cages Do you know what that turned into under biden by the way kids in cages i was just looking into this children in facilities no it's uh it's teens in um transition centers oh, or something like this right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of the euphemistic language of our wretched media class but that that is going to happen and 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 it would take it's going to take a very stalwart government to withstand that sort of propagandistic pressure for sure but again it's pressure it can yeah. be it can be resisted um yeah. you, don't, you don't finish do you jen <laughs> speaking really, like no. a true amoralist <laughs> it's pressure it can I mean, be resisted it, of course it can and also it, it's sort of fake pressure as well journalists mm. have far far too much sort of um you know perceived influence oh, than they than they actually do very true. um and i guess again that's probably your mm. guys's job to push back on mm. on any of that on any of that pressure you know i, I think particularly gb news as well might, will mm. be, probably be very helpful mm -hmm. um so so yes I, I i think the the sort of pressure that will be exerted can be pretty pretty much ignored okay and, and so i i sort of printed it a little bit but do you see any hope in reform, so most of the parties that we're talking about, whether mm -hmm. it's the AFD in Germany or Rassemblement National in France, like who have managed much more successfully than we have to incorporate youth into their mm -hmm. uh, movement, they tend to be, I think part of the reason for that is that they're perceived, rightly, as mar parties with marginal status, and mm -hmm. therefore it's kind of, it's a more typical young thing to do, to join that. The state that I lived in, Germany, Saxony, AFD mm -hmm. is now the majority party. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> well, so maybe, 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 mar maybe not marginal for much longer, but mm -hmm. they, 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 I don't know, it's, it's, easy, it's easier to valorize marginal status than the establishment. And mm -hmm. so the young people aren't going to be very attracted to the Conservative Party because it's been around since the 1830s. Yes. So, sure. but but um, do do you see any hope in some of the, the dissident parties on the right in this country, like so reform being the obvious one? This with the SDP as well, I suppose. Reclaim. Reclaim. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> Lawrence. Um, definitely not sorry, reclaim. Um, Gone. Currently, no. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm happy to to meet with people if they if they wanted to you know to discuss these issues, but no party has mentioned anything of the social housing mm -hmm. issues that we've discussed. And I just don't think any of them are currently tough enough. Mm. But reform does make a claim to, I mean, they've got their, I think, very silly, gimmicky, net zero immigration line, which is nowhere, mm -hmm. like, which is nowhere. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it, it sounds clever, but it, it mm -hmm. doesn't even come close to going far enough because net, just thinking of it in terms of net zero immigration, as opposed to in gross Im terms of immigration, you don't get an idea of the churn because net zero just means one in one out and yes, you don't yeah. get a sense of what's happening truly demographically yeah. in your society you can't measure the consequences purely on the basis of oh well there's been net zero immigration you need to go deeper than that mm -hmm. so th there are little silly gimmicky things like that which i think need to be dropped quickly mm -hmm. um but do you not think that particularly it's ben habib who we've had on this show for example he seems as far as i can tell to be quite thoroughgoing about this sort of thing like, well what what are their policies well well there's the net zero one there's, there's the net zero line but they, what i'm saying is that they talk about Maybe not about social housing so much, but they mm -hmm. do talk about uh, Im immigration a lot, and they do talk about how it needs to be radically brought down, and how those Tories have failed, and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You're not encouraged by any of that. Um, I think currently that's just rhetoric. Yeah. I think the thing with the the sort of new uh, right wing parties that have popped up is they are relatively new. They're still sort of fleshing out their policy platforms. So I guess that we would just have to wait and see as to whether they will have they will be effective really yeah i suppose it makes them slightly different as well from figures like marine le pen who's been a fixture in french politics well her father certainly got, the, the family sure. has been yes, for yes, a generation yes. and um even even the afd which was mm -hmm. known about in 2015 whereas reform it's a fairly it's a, it has a slight startup vibe to it yes yeah so i suppose we'll, we'll, we'll find out more in, in due course what do you make about dominic cummings though saying that he wants a startup party i mean he's kind of an interesting figure um, Some of your amorality is reminding me a little bit of <laughs> I wouldn't say fan, but I do like a lot of what um, Dominic Cummings writes and talks about. Mm. Um, I think he, 
I don't know whether he will have much success with his starter party. I think his his personal image has been very much damaged from his time um, working for Boris and you know the the Barnard Castle stuff. Um, I mean, if he does set it up, then I would probably be likely to join. Mm -hmm. um, it's whether he does, which I think is probably not very likely. Mm. Yeah, and he's. I, I'm. I'm not too, too sure. Like, it would be very interesting to talk to to Dominic Cummings. He's certainly a very able disruptor. Mm -hmm. But whether he is, and I'm not saying I'm expressing a view on this, but whether he is also a, a very competent and able creator, I suppose, is a, is a different question altogether. Like, mm. like, like, it's, it's something that, it's, that I've said about populism before. I think I think populism on the whole, it has the sort of firepower to to make headlines in an election year. But it, it's populism, because it is fundamentally a negative force, it's a reactive force against a perceived or actual or perceived elite, which is in control of things mm -hmm. or the rest of it. It tends to be couched in very negative terms and it tends to lack the power to define a century in the way that it can steal headlines yeah. in an election. Well, I, I think the thing with that is with populism, uh, more specifically right-wing populism, populism, there's sort of a vacuum of leadership. Um, there's a mm -hmm. lack of infrastructure. Um, you know, there's no real media outlets mm -hmm. um, in terms of that, you know, you talk about uh, creatives. Is it Curtis Yarvin who talks mm -hmm. about, you can always tell um, a right wing movement based on how bad their graphic design is. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> like that conservative calendar. For yeah, yeah, conservative yeah. dads and real women or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah, is in the yeah, States. Yeah, yeah. um, it's terrible. So, so currently, you know, those <laughs> types of movements are, are very amateur uh, and yeah. don't have, you know, a lot to give, mm -hmm. which I think is one of the benefits of this sort of becoming more of a youth movement, which is that we do have those types of people. It's very true. That it's true. Involved. I have been telling Peter for a year now that our graphic design is awful. But it's a funny thing as well, because there are people in history who have started out as populists, mm -hmm. but have become successful. But usually that means at some point you have to forfeit the populist status and the kind of the, the perception of, you know, heroic marginal status that that mm -hmm. confers sooner and so Julius Caesar would be a really good example he was a kind of an insurgent a populist figure in Rome at the time yeah. but once he became dictator in perpetuity he, he wasn't still hammering on I'm the I'm marginalized line mm. because because why would he he's now in power sure. you, you need to be able to make that jump from being a disruptor in politics to being the person who the, the, the architect of something new and that means that you can no longer start saying what yeah. betide me when you cross the Rubicon you go from underdog to ubermensch they, <laughs> unfortunate use of language I well, it, I mean it in a Nietzschean in the Nietzschean, term in the yeah. Nietzschean sense, I speak not, a little German not the Nazi appropriation of Nietzsche yeah. I always forget that they use that actually they, did, yeah. Yeah. They, prefer, yeah, they prefer to talk about untermensch than ubermensch but never mind um, Harrison well, I know, some, I know <laughs> German as well so <laughs> okay so that, that seems to me to be the case we are in an election year now I, I think I try to tell young people, young conservatives, when I when I meet them, and conservatives generally, that, mm -hmm. that there's I think there's very little chance of us in Britain achieving anything remotely good or satisfactory soon. Uh, I think that what we should be doing as a movement is trying to bide our time for a Labour government and to try and be as effect, maximally effective in that time, so that perhaps in, around 2029 we we can have a sort of an, an annus mirabilis of sorts. Do you agree that the I, Conservative Party I, yes. needs to be wiped out even at the risk of a Labour government or will this stuff get worse to the point of being irreversible? No, I would agree with your assessment. I think 2028-2029 is sort of um, the year of this decade mm. when, you know, ultimately the, the future of this country will, will be decided. Mm. Um, I would push back on biding your time. It's time to build during, during that time. It's time to start building mm. your networks, building your infrastructure, mm. um, you know, making posters, leaflets, making videos, uh, even, you know, posting on Twitter, posting on Facebook, meeting with your friends, mm. um, just to completely get the message fully mm. out there. Mm. Um, host events, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, that's something that I will be exploring this year is sort of hosting events for, um, you know, sort of not massive, but, you know, substantial. Um, so use this time to, to start building a movement effectively mm to be able to replace not just the Conservative Party, but the, but the Labour Party and the, the entire system system itself. Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, it's interesting because uh, we were speaking a little bit before because you, uh, about, about uh, your accent, which is very, which is slightly cryptic. <laughs> You're actually a Scouser who's mm -hmm. mixed with too many Londoners and that explains your yes, voice. Yeah. Uh, 
But, I mean, how did you fall into this world, particularly having been a Scouser? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a perception in this country, a correct perception among Scousers that they're sort of radically anti-Tory. And by anti-Tory, they mean more than just anti-the Conservative yes, Party, so. against anything which is Conservative, sort yeah. of, in general. Um, social media was probably yeah. mostly how I fell into it. Um, obviously, you know, 2015, 2016, Trump. Um, how old are you? I'm 23. Mm, so yeah. you would have been 16? 15, 16, yeah. Uh, and then obviously Brexit at the same mm -hmm. time as well. Mm -hmm. So, I, but I also think I, because I lived through that and those events sort of tend out to be disappointments, mm. that I wouldn't wish those disappointments on any future generations. Mm. So that's why I've sort of thrown myself into this and, you know, will be build, building and helping people build over the next couple of years to ensure that we do have a serious movement to be able to establish a new system in this country. I mean, I understand why Brexit was disappointment, but why, why Trump? I mean, if that was part of the reason you got interested in it, what was disappointing about the, the American counterpart? Um, I think ultimately he just wasn't serious whilst governing. Um, he appointed all the wrong people. The, the, the problem that a lot of populist movements have is they appoint people and surround themselves with fundamentally unserious people. Um, you need competent, intelligent people to be able to push through your agenda. It's not, as you've just said, it's not enough to just make headlines. Once you're in government and once, once you control the state, mm. you have to use it, use it to your advantage. Yeah, I forget whether it was Cummings or Teal or Richard Hanania, but it was one of those types of figures who mm -hmm. said something like the Democrats are the evil party and the Republicans are the retarded party. Are the stupid party? Or did they say retarded? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny because that's a, that's a line which goes back to, to John Stuart Mill in the 19th century. He, he used the word retarded? No, that's why I was confused. <laughs> John Stuart Mill, he was a, a liberal himself and he, and, and he, he, he said that um, he was the one who famously christened the Conservative Party the stupid party mm. and that's kind of become a fixture in politics ever since and then russell kirk hit it hit like hit it hit, hit it back at a century later hit it back at john stuart mill saying well if we're the stupid party you're the evil party and that sort mm. of so but it, it, it is true that that, that gen stupid is unfair but i i do n notice just purely on a so sociological level that, that when you meet ordinary people mm -hmm. in life they tend to have an earthy uh, sort of wisdom about them, which is completely lacking in sort of the faculty at the faculty of Harvard or the faculty mm. of, of Cambridge, particularly if they're in some bogus discipline like sociology or something like that. So it, it, it is interesting how how uh, being like intelligence of a kind of conventional kind doesn't necessarily always track political wisdom. In mm -hmm. fact, it can be it can be the opposite. This is a line from Scruton where Scruton says himself. He says intellectuals have always been attracted to the idea. Of a, of a planned, micromanaged, socially engineered society in the belief that they will be put in charge of it. There's this, mm. there's this kind of hope among the intellectuals that that would be the case. Taking shots of Curtis Yarvin right there. <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed. Mm. Now, if you were to say you had a coterie of young 16-year-olds who were as impressionable as you were back then, mm -hmm. and, and you wanted to give them you know, some reading material or tell mm. them, point them in a direction of where to actually yes. learn about these things, where, who would you recommend that they read? Where would you recommend that they go? Spend too much time on, and on Twitter, read your John Stuart Mill, and Roger Scruton pick up how Dawkins got pwned by Mencius Moldbug. Where would you point them towards? The um, prints? I would point them towards Anon, Anon Twitter. Um, <laughs> I would point them towards um, probably sort of Britain's best publication at the minute, which is Pimlico Journal. <laughs> I knew um, that was coming. Yes, pe people absolutely should read that. It is um, good. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, just get involved in the discussions online. Um, and in terms of sort of literature, um, I don't know. Not so much. Not so much. Well, I mean, I suppose I suppose there's always there, there needs to be a healthy. Actually, any... I I would read management books. If hmm, you if you want to be someone who potentially maybe a civil servant is is appointed to you know a, a sort of civil service position in the state, um, who is of you know our political political viewpoint. Yeah. You should read how to manage organizations. You should read how organizations run mm. um, because that is also what the right lacks. Well. And I would add to that, I think, particularly in that because it's one thing to kind of give people a formula for how to act. And that's what as I, I've never actually read a management book, but that's what I imagine <laughs> that they're, they're kind of like. Mm. Uh, political biography as well, particularly if you're reading the biographies of successful political mm. leaders who have actually done it yeah. and availing yourself of some of that vicarious experience, mm -hmm. um, which you can't experience on your own. 
uh, you need to experience it through. I, I can through, tell you the book that, I, that I've just finished reading. I, I took it to India with me. Um, it's John Hoskins. He was a former special advisor to Margaret Thatcher, and he, he used to be a businessman and uh, became a special advisor. Mm. And it's called Just in Time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically sort of his battle with the political system and the political state and mm. the civil service. Mm. Uh, and in the end, he concludes that the civil service is effectively uh, incompetent, not fit for purpose, and needs to be completely replaced. I can see why you were sympathetic to that. <laughs> So, um, yes, I would recommend that. Okay. But do you think as well that there's a problem fundamentally with our, like, the, the rite of passage which young people take into the adult world these days and that everyone's roughly, there are exceptions, but everyone's kind of roughly on the same conveyor belt towards adulthood. And is there, a, is there a, as, a, as a movement, are we bad at integrating, not only integrating young people into the conservative movement, mm -hmm. small C conservative movement, but also making sure that there's a, an effective division of labor? But in, in, for example, it goes back to what you're saying. We need people who are really good at graphic design. We need people yeah, who are really a, good at social media. Yeah, exactly. Writers and commentators yeah, exactly. and two lawyers. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There needs to be much more. Exactly. And by the way, I'm not skilled in any of those things either. So this, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. But it, it seems to me that we could we could we could do with some of that. And there, and, and I don't know how you go about making sure that the the, the, the system is well calibrated to receive people from different kind of backgrounds and talents and, and, and capabilities. I, I think the best thing that you can do for now is just to push the messaging and ultimately you will bring people on side. They might not be directly involved, mm. you know, they might not join the conservative associations or, or whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, but in time when, when those people are needed, they will mm. be available. Current, I mean, currently, you're not going to get people who potentially, you know, want to earn a very high income, mm. you know, want to be involved in the sort of high society, you know, sort of, um, you know, elite circles, you're not going to get them on camera or, you know, on Twitter with their face exposing the type of things that we've talked about now. But they don't need to. They just need to back sure. us in private. Yeah. Um, and then when the time comes, um, come come into the fold. Would yeah. you recommend to, to a young person who's kind of wanted to do the same thing that you've done, would you recommend doing it uh, face forward? Or would you say go anonymous and try to build a following? I would not network? recommend doing, doing what I do. <laughs> um, I would recommend being anonymous for now. Mm. Um, you know. I decided pretty early on this in my life that this is what I wanted to do, um, and there are, you know, lots of negatives towards it. I would probably never have a sort of normal, normal career or normal job. Mm. Um, so I would advise everyone to to, to be anonymous. What are some of the negatives? Do you think? Um, well, I I think just the fact that my name is associated now with you know the types of ideas that you know I've espoused. Not that I'm ashamed. The of good them. ideas. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic ideas, <laughs> but um, you know. A lot of people in society probably don't don't think the same. Yeah. Um, so that I guess that's one uh, negative. I mean, I, the the other obvious negative is you get. You know, I'm sure you guys get it. Hate. Never. I mean, I've never yeah. any hate act. I mean, I try to keep fairly low profile. I don't. Yeah. You talk about social media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that it really affects me. I don't really yeah. care. But you know, for certain people, it, it will. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you shouldn't put yourself out there if that's something that would affect you. Indeed. Um, and there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with that because it's not, I don't think it's particularly natural to have hundreds of thousands of people dislike you um, yeah, yeah. On, on the internet. It's, mm. it's, it's a very new <laughs> phenomenon. It's a new human experience. It is, it is. Well, nevertheless, Jack, thank you so much uh, for joining us, for being thank our first you. guest of the year. Thank you very Appreciate much. Appreciate it a lot. And keep up the good work, Evan. Thank thanks as ever. You've been watching Deprogrammed. Make sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment if you wish. We shall see you on the next one. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free, just remember, to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos.
thank you.